Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Phoenix Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Father, we thank you so much for, for your son Jesus and for this gift of salvation that there was nothing we could have possibly done to be able to deserve it. And we're so, so grateful for your grace, so grateful for your love. And I thank you that you will anoint every ear to hear. And what they will hear tonight will make a mark in their lives that will never, ever be erased. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. We pray and everybody said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Again, I want to say to uh, the Womacks for just thank you so much. I'm, I'm so honored, so blessed. Um, I always enjoy your company. Today, I wanted to be very respectful. When we get some private time, we can act silly like we kind of did and me, you, and Dave. We don't want everybody to see that. You understand? <laughs> yeah, but, but I really, really am just so honored to be here. You just won't, you won't know what this invitation and you having tapping out here, what it, what it has done for me on the inside. It just, it's just, it blesses me. And I want you to know that. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Amen. And I just got to figure out what I'm going to do with New York. Uh, my God, the snow's everywhere up there. So thank God for technology. Okay, let's see how we can set this up. I got a lot of things I want to cover, so I, I've asked them to help me with the screen so we can really begin to look at this. I'm on my way to the new covenant so that we can really see what the new covenant is all about. But I want to spend some time talking to you about this unmerited favor. And uh, Brother Andrew said something that's so true. You can find grace throughout the Old Testament. In fact, I believe that the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace. I mean, you saw Abraham taking Lot with him and Lot got him in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Amen. And yet, instead of God just, you know, slapping his face, he just, it just seems like the, the more he would go on and, and uh, you know, do things that were not in line with what God wanted him to do, the more you would just see God just rain down his, his faithfulness and unmerited favor and love on, on Abram. And so one of the things I want to look at is the fact that, you know, God's unmerited favor is a covenant, which means you don't just have momentary experiences of his favor. When you have this covenant in your life, you have full, constant access to this unmerited favor. Amen? So, let's set this up. Now, we understand throughout history there, there are lots of covenants, okay? There's, there's, there's a covenant that God had with Noah. There, there are lots of covenants. But the two major covenants we want to look at tonight as we lead into this, this, uh, this uh, new covenant, and that is the covenant that came by Moses, the covenant of law, and this new covenant of Jesus. So the old covenant of Moses versus the new covenant of Jesus. And I think this morning we were talking about the different names for when we talk about the covenant that came by Moses, the Mosaic covenant or uh, the covenant that came from Mount Sinai or the covenant of the law. 
and then we look at the new covenant and we refer to it, yes, as the new covenant or the covenant of Jesus. Uh, and even in some places it's referred to as the covenant of peace. And so we want to look at them because I want you to see how the, this, this old covenant operates and the requirements of that old covenant and that old agreement versus the one that we are under. I think it was made very clear this morning. And, and I love it when, when I can go somewhere and get in line with, with what, what the minister is talking about. I, I, I think that's great. I don't, I don't want to show up and try to be different. I, I want to show up and try to get right in line with what they're, they're doing and what they're talking about. This is, this is not about me. This is about, this is about this ministry. And if I, if I get on the pulpit and talk about anybody's products, it's going to be about his products. Okay. He's got some good stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Good stuff. You go in my, my, my office in my home is right next to Taffy's. You go in both of our offices, we got some Andrew Womack materials all over the office. You understand? Good stuff. This man is a blessing to our lives and to our ministries and to our churches. We are so blessed to have him and we love him and we just want to keep him here to 120 years. <laughs> and I wasn't making fun at the brother who you were talking about who was walking over the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> So let's look at St. John chapter 1 and verse 17. St. John chapter 1 and verse 17. And let's begin here as we begin to examine the differences between the old and the new covenant. Now, St. John chapter 1, 17 says, For the law was given by Moses... But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. This grace and truth, they are synonymous terms. I believe with all my heart, the more we learn about grace, the more we're going to understand truth. And the more we're going to begin to understand scriptures that talk about truth, like rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, understanding how the truth makes you free. Now you understand when you look at grace and truth synonymously, you begin to see what that's all about. And so even when you talk about this grace and truth, grace and truth came together through the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 in St. John chapter 1. It came as a result of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the word was made flesh and it dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. And so one of the things I want to continue to remind myself of is this, is that grace is not a curriculum. Grace is not a subject. Grace is a person. I said grace is a person. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Now, one of the things that we want to look at here tonight, like I said before, I believe with all of my heart that grace is grace and law is law and Jesus did not come to give us more law. He came to give us grace and truth. Now, as we dig into the old covenant here, let's, let's look at the Abrahamic covenant, which was a, it was a strong covenant. And, and we understand that a covenant is a it's a vow, it's a promise, it's a pledge between two or more parties to carry out terms agreed upon. And even uh, in the covenant that was made with blood, that could only be broken by death. And so co covenant was a very strong agreement between God and man. 
And the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant that, 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 that God initiated. And uh, in this Abrahamic covenant, God made some promises and those promises are going to come to pass. They did come to pass, I mean perfectly and exactly. And so there's some things that happen in the Abrahamic covenant that clearly identifies the grace of God and it shows you the grace of God showing us. And in fact, I refer to the Abrahamic covenant as the Abrahamic covenant of grace because you just see it over and over and over again. But now, one of the things I wanna show you, is it possible for us to find the very place where everything changed? Is it possible for us to find, you know, from, from Genesis all the way up to this certain point where we see God's faithfulness and God's goodness and we see them depending on God's faithfulness and God's goodness, where did it change? Where did it change where all of a sudden the law came in because of, of what? And that's what I wanna see if we can search out and look at tonight. Now, before the law was given, none of the children of Israel died. Listen to this, this is so interesting to me. I want you to think about this. Before the law was given, none of the children of Israel died when they came out of Egypt. Nobody died when they came out of Egypt. Now remember, God didn't deliver them out of Egypt because they, because they had good behavior or because they were good. Remember, God delivered them because God was good. And from Egypt to Mount Sinai, we don't see anybody dying. Now, I, I, wanna, I wanna kinda take you on this journey so you can see the kind of people we were dealing with. I mean, uh, even though they murmured and complained against God's appointed leadership. Look at this. Go to Psalms 105 and verse 37. Psalms 105, 37. And let's just look at some things here. 105, verse 37. He says, and he bought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So it's not the picture of, of, of about three, three, three and a half million people coming out and you know, some of them are broke and some of them are blind and some of them are, you know, need help. No, he said not one feeble one. Not one feeble, think of that. I mean, in, in itself, that's the power of grace. Think of that. He delivers them out, and there's not one feeble one amongst their tribe. We were talking when, uh, uh, when Brother Andrew was with us uh, in, this, in, in, in our meeting recently. We were talking, and we used this word pimp. And that, that's not the guy that does the bad thing with the ladies. You understand what I'm saying? But it's literally a walk. And I, I, I challenged Andrew, I said, you know, one day we're gonna teach you how to pimp. <laughs> and so we could imagine that these guys were so blessed and so healthy that I can see them coming out of Egypt pimping. <laughs> and I can see them going back like, later Pharaoh. <laughs> what's up y'all, what's up man, what's up man? We free, we out man, we out. All right, I want you to think with me for a moment. I mean, this is, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is, this is awesome love. This is, this is just, we're free. We're, we're out of here. Now, you would think nobody's got a problem. Nobody has anything to complain about. 
I'm delivered. Yes, amen. God kept his word. Woo-wee. Oh, no, that's not how it went. Let's find out what happened with these guys. Look at Exodus chapter 14. Check this out. Now, you would think they would be coming out. You know, everybody, it's a constant praise, a constant singing. No complaining, no murmuring about anything. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11, look, look, check this out, verse 11. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt to die? You would think, dude, we're out of Egypt. What is there to complain about? We're out of Egypt. Now, watch this. Go to Exodus 15, verse 23. So we're going to see people who have been delivered by the goodness and the faithfulness of God and look at their attitude. Verse 23, and I'm going to read 23 through 25. And when they came to Marara, they could not drink of the water of Marai, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Moriah. And the people murmured against Moses. And they said, what shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the water, the waters were made sweet, and there he made for them a, a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Next verse. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord, and he said, I'm trying to get used to this because I'm going to try this at my church, so I thought I'd try it at night looking at the scriptures. But I, my guy's probably going to be way slower, so I'm trying to... <laughs> this guy's good, and I'm like, man, could you come and train my guy? And he said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do which is, uh, that which is right in, the sight, in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and to keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians. Now, notice again, he says, for I'm the Lord that healeth thee. Notice again, what are you murmuring about? Why are you complaining about this? God Almighty has delivered us. Now look at Exodus 16 and 3. Exodus 16 and 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They go from complaining about, I'm thirsty, where the water at? To, you know, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm I'm tired of this manna. I want, some, I want some meat. You think God's delivered me, man. I don't have anything to complain about. Now, I want you to notice something. While they're complaining, do we see God reigning and pouring out judgment because they're complaining? No. It seems like the more they complained, the more God would release more of his goodness while they were complaining. Now, I know some of you would say, you know, if it was me, I'd, I'd, I'd have just released a little lightning bolt and hit some of those tails a little bit, and they'd, they'd have got, no, not God. No, not God. God just continued to bless them. God just continued to be faithful to them. God just continued to love them. 
And another thing, while all this stuff was going on, I want you to remember it was God right in the presence of the camp when all this stuff's going on. They were probably talking a little bit about the leaders and there were some issues in the camp, but God was in the camp by day and a pillow of fire by night. His presence was amongst them that whole time. Even while they were doing this, the presence was here. Now this was, this was 430 years before the law even came into place. And here's God, man, with his faithfulness and his goodness. And they had learned to depend on his faithfulness and goodness. And when they got to the Red Sea, praise God, God opened the Red Sea up, dried the ground out. That's a faithful and a good God. But it wasn't because they were deserving. It wasn't because they were so good that they earned God's goodness. God's ability wasn't based on their goodness. They were murmuring. They were, they were not being grateful for what God had done. And God is still there being faithful to demonstrate his goodness to them. Are you listening to me? Now, I, I want to show you something here. I believe that something happened right in Exodus chapter 19. If you flip over there, Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 6. I mean, God's goodness and God's faithfulness all demonstrated before the Ten Commandments showed up. That's how they were operating. That's how they were living. They were living by God's goodness and faithfulness. Abraham constantly walked in God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Now, verse 4, Exodus 19, 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and how I brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Seven. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Verse eight. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken. Now watch these next three words. We will do. We will do. Really? <laughs> Tell me, where was we when you were stuck in Egypt? Tell me, show me where was we when you came to the Red Sea and it wasn't open? Where was we when you were hungry and God rained manna down? Why is it all of a sudden we will do it? I knew something was in just those three words, and I'm thinking, God, just something is so weird about this attitude that I'm reading about, you know, yeah, just go back and just let God know, yeah, we will do it. And I just started digging around in that phrase, and I got me a Hebrew syntax. And uh, verse 8, looking at it in this syntax, here's what I got. All that God commands us, we are well able to perform. I still wasn't satisfied. I said, there's a little, there's an attitude in here. In other words, God, don't judge us and bless us on any more 
don't judge us and bless us anymore based on your goodness and faithfulness. We want you to assess us based on our merits. Bless us based on our obedience because we are well able to perform whatever you demand of us. We no longer want you to just, you know, judge us based on your merits. We don't want no more unmerited favor. We want to be able to earn this. We want to be able to deserve this. Ladies and gentlemen, if you read the next verse, things change. All of a sudden, things change. In fact, let's go there. Um, look at Exodus chapter 19, look at verse eight. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has, has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord, verse nine. And the Lord said unto Moses, lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud. I was reading this one day. I said, thick cloud, thick cloud. God, why the cloud got to be thick now? <laughs> and the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Verse and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Verse 11. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourself that you go not up into the mount, or don't even touch the border of it, and whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. What happened? How do you go from God's with you throughout the day and God's with you throughout the night to don't even touch the boundary of the mountain? Don't even touch it. And if you touch it, you're going to die. Not only you, you, all your cattle and everything else. Don't even put your hands on it. You want the law? I'm going to give you the law. You think you can handle this? You actually think you can do this without me? You actually think that without my faithfulness and out my, without my goodness, you can do it without me? You really think you qualify? Are y'all seeing this? Now, now watch this. Look at what changed in Numbers 21 and 5. Now, they murmured before, and we don't see too much, but now, now check them out. <laughs> Numbers 21, verse 5 and 6. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our souls loatheth thee this life bread. Verse 6. Now look what happens. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Now, in essence, what God really did is he just removed his hand. And the thing that, ha that didn't happen because of the hand of the Lord now happened because now we're in the process of seeing, all right, you want the law? I'll give you a law. You want to be judged by your own merit? All right, we'll give you a law. But the thing about the law is the law is perfect. And when you can't keep the law, there's the consequences for not being able to keep the law. And so now you got just what you wanted here. Here's the law, and I'm going to show you through the law that you can't do it. I'm going to show you that you need a Savior. 
And no matter what you do and how hard you do, the law is going to make you feel inferior. It's going to bring about condemnation. The law is going to bring... You ever thought about why is it that people, before the law, they live 500, 800, 900 years? I mean, you were, you're not even a teenager until you're 350. Why? There was no consciousness of sin. There was no sin consciousness. But once the law has been given, the law will make you aware of sin. The law is what produces that sin consciousness. And you begin to look at it carefully. The law, once the law was put in place and sin consciousness was there, then all of a sudden you begin to see people just, just die early just because of the consciousness of sin. And he mentions some of that in, in, in Romans chapter 5 as well. Now, here's what I want to show you. The law demanded certain things. The law under that, even that, that type of priesthood, the law demanded that you, you, you do your part. The law demanded that you do good. The law demanded you, you work for your righteousness. It's, 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 it's righteousness based on works under the law. It's it's. You have a part and God has a part. It's, um, it's you, don't, you do certain laws that came from the Levitical priesthood and if you didn't do it, then a curse would come on you. It, it was full of judgment. It was full of punishment if you didn't do it. It was full of fear. Now I'm afraid because if I don't do these things of what's gonna happen to me, all of this comes as a result of, of the law. Ladies and gentlemen, I now want to introduce you to the new covenant. Amen. That was getting kind of depressing just talking about it. But that's not what we're under. I said, that's not what we're under. I said, that's not what we're under. But now if you look at the church today, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I said, dear goodness, we're sending missionaries all over the world and we need some missionaries sent to us. Because we think we have heard the gospel. Not that I want to give the devil any credit at all, but it appears that he has, um, has kind of succeeded in doing this one thing. He's got people looking at what's right and calling it wrong and looking at what's wrong and calling it right. Are y'all understand what I'm saying? He's got people looking at what's not the gospel and calling it the gospel. And then when they really hear the gospel, they saying that's not the gospel. That's heresy. They don't even know you've been stuck in 20 years of heresy. That's wrong. This is right. <laughs> I was in mean one time and I heard people grunting of what I was saying. I said, oh, praise God. I'm wrong. You write the end. <laughs> and I start doing a Fred Price. And I told him, I said, I'm wrong. You're right because I'm smarter than you. Because if you were smarter than me, then you'd be up here talking and I would be sitting down there listening to you. But since you're not smarter than I am, I'm up here talking and you're listening to me. And if you think I'm dumb, then you're dumber because you're listening to a dumber person that you think. <laughs> I can't do it like him, but he, he, he's good. 
He didn't call him stupid, but at the end he said, dummy. <laughs> Let's look at this. Let's begin in Hebrews chapter eight. And, and that's just a summary of that. I do a, a really detailed teaching on what I just shared with you, but I, I really want to make sure I get to this new covenant tonight. Hebrews chapter eight. Let's start at verse six. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a what? Better covenant, which was established upon what? Better promises. All right, so now we, we have a covenant that is better. It's a better covenant with better promises. All right, so we're not talking about the old covenant. We're talking about this new covenant. I am getting ready to, to, to bring you into the actual contractual agreement of what this new covenant is all about. Verse seven, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now, what was the fault with the first covenant? We couldn't keep it. That's the fault of the first covenant. We couldn't keep it. Like we were saying before, the, 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 the law is not sin. No, the law is holy. It's good. It's perfect. It did exactly what God uh, created the law to do. Um, yeah, Lord, that's good. Yeah, that, that's good. Um, yeah, let's, let's do it. Hold on there, Mr. Scripture, man. Let's go to... Uh, Romans chapter three. Hold your place there in Hebrews. You will probably have somebody try to, to convince you that you should be doing the law and they'll use this verse of scripture and I think it's important for us to look at it. Romans chapter three, verse 31. In verse 31, he says this, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Now that sounds like, well, wait a minute. You're telling us that we're not under the law and right here it says we established the law. Well, that would be fine based on how you define established. I mean, if, if established means to adhere to, we got a problem, but that's not what it means. The, the Amplified reads like this. He says, do we then by this faith make the law of no effect, overthrow it or make it, dead, make it a dead letter? He says, certainly not. On the contrary, we confirm and establish and uphold the law. In other words, what he says is we, we esteem highly the law because it came from God and it's like this gigantic mountain that no man can ski but Jesus and we esteem that mountain. He didn't mean to esteem it he didn't mean that you adhere to it. He meant you would, you would esteem it. You would, you, would you would hold it in high esteem. You would say this is such an awesome, mighty thing that we can't keep it. In fact, for the people who think they can keep the law, you're not esteeming the law. Am, am I making sense? You, you're not esteeming the law if you go around thinking you can keep the law. But what he is saying is because this can't be kept, because this can't be done, we highly esteem it. Not to adhere to it, but we esteem it highly as something that was so awesome that has come from God. It did what God sent it to do and it can't be conquered by anybody but Jesus and we esteem it highly. You understand what I'm saying? 
Okay, Mr. Scripture man, let's get back to that new covenant. Now, back to Hebrews chapter eight. All right. Ooh, Jesus, that got me stirred up just thinking about that, praise God. Jesus is the only one that could ski that mountain. And he put a sign on it. He says, don't do this. This could be dangerous to your health. <laughs> All right, now watch this. This is so important. Look at verse eight. For finding fault with them. I didn't say that. The scripture did. For finding fault with them. He saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. New covenant. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse nine. Not according to. Now watch this, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant, but it's not gonna be according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So he says, this new agreement is not going to be according to the old one. Would you take a contract for an old deal and use it for a different deal? You'd drop a new contract, wouldn't you? Because we got new terms and, and, and different things that are happening in this deal. He says, this new, this new covenant is not going to be according to the other one. Not going to be according to the covenant of the law. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Look what he said in the Amplified. Can, can you do? I'll do it. I'm, I'm asking too much of you tonight. If you can do it, do it. Oh, look at here. Look at here. Woo! I done found me a new toy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, my Bible's tearing up. I'm wearing the baby out. I have already had it bounded about two or three times. I don't think it can take another one. It's about time for me to retire it. I don't have no more gold on the pages. <clears throat> Now watch this. However, he finds fault with them, showing its inadequacy when he says, behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, when I will make and ratify a new covenant or agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, Amplified. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand to help and relieve them I, I, and to lead them out of out from the land of Egypt for they did not abide in my agreement with them and so according to that agreement when they didn't abide with my agreement with them I and so I withdrew my favor notice what what they did determined what God would do and God said I had to disregard them they didn't do their part, so I couldn't do my part because it was based on their faithfulness. And I want you to see there's a faithfulness problem with that old covenant that he's getting ready to, to rectify under this new. Ooh, look at verse 10. Oh, we're going to stick with the Amplified? I don't care. Make me know. I like it, bro. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their minds. I'll put, put it in their innermost thoughts and, and, and understanding. I'll engrave them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Woo. 
All right, now notice what he's doing. He is now establishing the terms for this agreement. He's establishing the terms for this new covenant. And I want you to notice something in this new covenant. In, in the King James, he says here, he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Notice the number of times you see I will. I will put my laws into their heart. And, and I will write them in their hearts. And I will be to them of God and they shall be to me a people. I will, I will, I will. I will, I will, I will. He says, I will put my law in your heart. I will put it in your mind. I will be your God. You know what that means when God's your God? When God's your God, when you're sick, God will heal you. And that's what he says. I will establish where healing will always be made ready for you because I'm your God and you are my people. To get the awesomeness of that statement. I am your God. You are my people. Who's going to walk around in fear when your agreement says that God's your God? So every time you run into something, remind yourself, God's my God and he loves me. Back up, devil. God's my God, and I'm his people. Oh, oh, oh my goodness, Woo. oh my goodness. Boy, that'll cause you to pimp, won't it? Wow, all right, all right, look at the next verse here. Verse 11, and here are the terms of the covenant. Now, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. Oh man, well, I'll finish this out. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. He says, you don't need to teach people how to know the Lord. God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach you how to know me. And that's what religion is so concerned about. You know, well, dear God, if you don't tell people this and how they're going to know, the Holy Ghost in them is going to begin to teach them. Look at verse, uh, while you're there. Verse 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Did you, did you hear that? He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their unlawful deeds will I remember no more. Under this new covenant, he says, I'm merciful to your unrighteousness. Under this new covenant, he says, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Now, that doesn't mean, well, since he don't remember my sins no more, I might as well go out and do some stuff. No, 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 no. He, <laughs> get this, it, please get this in your head. This is not about trying to find a way to sin. Once you get born again, the Spirit of God's going to come on the inside of you. You're going to understand his love for you. There are things you're not going to want to do anymore because you have experienced this awesome love of God. You're not going to want to do it anymore. You're not, the reason why you're not going to want to do it anymore because he has renovated you on the inside. It's not the same you that was sinning before you got born again. 
When, when you were sinning before you got born again, it was you and that old sinful nature. But when you got born again, a new creation came on the inside of you. You've got company in there. You've got God on the inside of you. And so when you go to the bar, you're not going to the bar anymore by yourself. You go to commit adultery, you're not going to commit adultery anymore by yourself. God's going to be with you every step of the way. And, he, and it ain't, ain't going to feel like it used to feel. So don't expect for it to feel like it used to feel. It's not going to feel the same way because you just, when you were, when you were made anew, you're just not created for that mess anymore. You ain't going to want it no more. You're not going to want it anymore. But we're so concerned about, well, you know, if I get under grace, I mean, well, well, what about sin? What about it? What about it? God didn't create us so we can wake up every day and be so focused on sin. He wants us focused on Jesus, not focused on sin. Last verse, last verse, and then we'll go back and break it down. Uh, in that, he said, a new covenant. He hath made the first one old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Let's look at this in Amplified because it uses the word obsolete. It took me, I, I had a hard time letting go of cassette tapes. <laughs> I still carried them there. You know, when they were making offers, if you like a CD or DVD, I, I'd come in and say, and cassette tape. <laughs> Finally, they said, Pastor, nobody's getting cassette tapes anymore, and, and the cars don't have a cassette tape player in it. And you don't, they're gone, they're obsolete. I was sad at that saying. When Brother Hagin uh, went home to be with the Lord, I, 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 I called his office and I said, I want every message he's ever preached on cassette tapes. I pulled one of them out the other day and they, you know, whoo, hello, this is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and now they tell me that, you know, I better hurry up. Oh, the DVD is about to be obsolete. And the CD, what, what are we going to next? And they said something, I'm like, what's that? Now watch this. When God speaks of a new covenant or agreement, he makes the first one obsolete out of use. Once you get under this covenant, for you who are righteous, the old covenant is out of use. It's like the cassette player. You need to let it go. Okay? And what is obsolete out of use and annulled because of age is ripe for disappearance and to be dispensed with all together. All right, now. Now, I want to show you something here. In verse 9, this to me is so amazing. Verse 9 says, I'm going to make this new covenant. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand to help and to relieve them and to lead them out from the land of Egypt, for they did not abide in my agreement with them, and so I withdrew my favor and disregarded them, saith the Lord. Can you imagine what, what, had, what God had to be going through to withdraw his favor? What happened here was an issue with faithfulness. And God's determined that ain't happening no more. 
I'm not going to make a covenant. Hear what he said. This agreement is not going to be like the old agreement where your faithfulness is required. Did you see that in that? See, he was making this based on, you know, you didn't do your part, so then I had to withdraw my favor and disregard you. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not, it's not going to be based on your faithfulness. God had to come up with a way to remove us from the center of this equation. Glory be to God. And he has been successful in this new agreement to take us out of the center of this equation. Look, look in 2 Timothy. Let me show you something. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Yeah, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. If we are faithless, do not believe and are untrue to him, he remains true, faithful to his word and his righteous character. For he cannot deny himself because if he denies himself, he denies us. I, I think you need to understand what this thing means about being in Christ. Here's a handkerchief. Here's a book. The handkerchief in the book. Now, what does that mean? That means now, whatever the experiences of this book now become the experiences of the handkerchief. If I take this book with the handkerchief in it and FedEx it to Georgia, the experiences of the book become the experience of the handkerchief. Glory be to God. Why? Because the handkerchief is in the book. If I throw the book in the water, whatever happens to the book is going to happen to the water because the experiences of the book become the experience of the handkerchief. So likewise, we are in Christ Jesus. When he died, we died. When he was raised up, he was, we raised up. When he sat down, we sat down. You're still concerned about going to heaven and you're already seated in heavenly places with him. This is not an issue of whether or not you're going to heaven. That's already been settled. You're in Christ, praise God. He's in heaven, you're in heaven, hallelujah. So this covenant has been made and here's what he said. I will not be faithless to you even when you are faithless to me. When you are not faithful, God says I will continue to be faithful and you will be the beneficiary of my faithfulness. Now, I'm telling you, that, that's radical. That's hard for some people to hear. What do you mean? Because what it does, it says, wait a minute. In the old covenant, I had to do good to get good. Now you're telling me, what do I do in the new covenant? Well, he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. So far, he ain't told you to do nothing. There are, there, there's something I want you to know, but so far, notice what he's doing. He says, I'm going to be faithful. In fact, you remember in Hebrews chapter 6, 13, when he swore by himself? That conversation that God had with himself, that ceremony that God had, it was between God and God. And God said to God, I swear by you that I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. You can always have a high priest. In fact, I jotted something down this afternoon. I, I wanted to make sure I, I read it to you because I wanted you to know what this new covenant, this new covenant specifically offered to you. Yeah, there it is. 
God swore him to himself. He said four things. Number one, he swore to himself that Jesus would be our priest forever. He swore to himself. Number two, he promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. I said, he said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Yeah, but what if you go to the, what if you go to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, wherever joint you go to, Jesus is going with you. Oh, but brother Dollar, Jesus is not going with me. That place is too filthy. Well, he's gotten you out of a whole lot of other filthy places. In fact, who you think going to get you out of the ditch when you fall in the ditch? If you go to the bar, Jesus is going to go to the bar with you. Why? Because once you start acting foolish and get yourself whooped, it's going to be Jesus that's going to pull you out of that situation. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to need Jesus to go everywhere you go. Now, that makes people angry. You mean he is holy? Yes, he is. He is too holy to go in the bar. Well, he came on the inside of us, praise God. And <laughs> Who do you think going to counsel you out of your mess? I mean, we came up under this stuff where, you know, I tell you what, you got to be careful that you don't offend the Holy Spirit. It's going to take so much more than you talking loud to get rid of the Holy Ghost. He is committed to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't care what's going on in your life. He will never leave you without guidance. He's always going to be there with you. But if you go to beating yourself up and condemning yourself, well, I'm not worthy anymore. Oh, I just don't feel like I'm worthy. He can't have anything to do with me. That's the one that was whispering to you before you committed the sin. In the middle of the sin, he was talking to you. And after he's like, what I tell you? <laughs> he's not going to leave you. Because he's busy being committed to renovating you until, until your, your soul and your body begins to line up with the perfect you. You know your spirit's already perfect. The day you got born again, you're, you're already perfect in your spirit. It's your soul and your mind that needs to catch up. And you have to understand that when that process is going on, your soul acts like a mirror. So if your soul is facing that perfect part of you, your spirit, then on the outside in your life, we'll see that. We'll see the character of God. We'll see the things of God because your soul is now a reflection and it's given a reflection of your spirit, which is perfect. But now watch this. But now if you let that soul tilt over here to your flesh and then you start having bad attitude and you're cussing people out and you're just acting all fleshy, that is a reflection of the flesh. So now when you start acting crazy, just remind yourself, it's time to move the mirror. Obviously, my soul's over here. Let me put my soul over here, okay? Because people think it's all right to just allow bad emotions to run their life. Don't do that. You, you start practicing death. You're supposed to be expressing the life of God. That's a whole nother sermon. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's go back, go back to this now. So 2 Timothy, he's faithful. In this covenant, he says, I am going to be faithful. Now, here's the thing I love. When the Holy Spirit finishes with you, you're going to want to be faithful. You're, you're going to want to live your, your life in a holy way. Amen. And that's another thing mentioned in holiness. We're working hard to try to be holy, and we won't receive that we are holy because we're in Jesus. Jesus is my holiness. Jesus is my sanctification. See, there's something wrong with our believing. If you believe right, 
Understand something. If you believe right, you're going to live right. But if you believe wrong, you, you, you're going you're to behave wrong. You know, we, we keep attacking people's behavior instead of attacking, giving them understanding of their true identity. And you start understanding who you really are and what you have been made. As he is, so am I. So is he sick? No, he's not sick. Well, so am I. As he is, so am I. If he is not sick in heaven, I am not sick down here. As he is, so am I. Are you listening to what I'm saying, man? My holy, I'm, I'm holy because I'm in him. I'm righteous because I'm in him. I have wisdom because I'm in him. Jesus has been made for me. Righteousness. I'm, Jesus is my wisdom. Jesus is my holiness. I'm holy right now today because I'm in him. Well, Brother Dollar, what you did last week wasn't holy. Oh, that's all right. I ain't looking at that. Well, he going to take care of that. Eventually, I don't like that decision either. I don't like what happened either. But because I'm in him and he's on the inside of me, there's something happening on the inside of me that's renovating me. And you just keep watching me. It'll spill out. Praise God. And before you know it, you'll see the fruit of holiness. That's what it is in our life. All right, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing all over the place. Let me see. New covenant, new covenant, new covenant. Okay. Back to Hebrews chapter 8. <laughs> All right, now, here's the deal. He says, here's what I'm going to do. In this covenant where I am faithful, I will. I will put my laws. We talked about that the other day, the law of love, the perfect law of liberty. I will put my laws into your mind. I will put them into your heart. I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all, 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 for all shall know me from the least to the, to the greatest. All right, now notice that. He says, now if you'll do that, if you'll believe that, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Believe what? Believe that I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. Believe that, that your sins and unrighteous deeds, I'll remember no more. Now, here's what he's saying in this new covenant. This new covenant requires you to respond in two ways. In fact, there are only two ways you can respond to this new covenant. I believe and thank you. Here's what God said. He said, he said, will you believe this? Will you believe that I've been merciful to your unrighteousness? And would you believe that your sins and iniquities I remember no? Will you believe that? He says, I need you to believe that so I can write it on your heart, write it on your mind, be your God. But it's, listen, it's going to be difficult if you, you don't believe that I have been merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and iniquities I remember no more. He says, I, I want to be able to write these things on your heart. I want to be able to keep my part of the covenant. I need you to do one thing. Believe. Specifically in this new covenant, believe what? Believe that I have been merciful to your unrighteousness. 
specifically in this new covenant, believe that your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. See, what the enemy's gonna do, this is, this is the turning point in a lot of people's lives. You find yourself in condemnation, you find yourself back in the guilt, you find yourself back in the shame, you have fallen from grace and you're right back under that, that, that law, that rock of law again. When certain things happen and you have to be established in righteousness, that no matter what happens, I am the righteousness of God. I'm, I'm righteous by faith. I receive my righteousness. I believe that he's been merciful to my unrighteousness and my sins and iniquity. He remembers no more. And then the devil comes. Yeah, but what did you do last night? No, I believe that he's been merciful to my unrighteousness, my sins and iniquities. He remembers no more. I am the righteousness of God. And the devil comes. No, you're not. You can't be after what you did. No, I'm the righteousness of God. My sins and iniquities. He remembers no more. He's been merciful to my unrighteousness. You got to get that until it starts coming up automatic so that when the devil shows up, it doesn't move you. You're not going to listen to the accusations of the devil. I believe. Somebody shout, I believe. I believe. You remember when uh, J. Iris came hunting for Jesus and his daughter was lying at home at the point of death. And this is in the same uh, instance where the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment. And it was amazing how Jesus allowed his ministry to be in control. I mean, he starts off following J. Iris. Then another woman touched him with faith. He, he turns him and he, he said, who touched me? And then he turns back to J. Iris. And in the midst of it, somebody from J. Iris' home shows up and said, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the master anymore. Jesus heard it and Jesus said, look what he said. He told him, he said, I don't want you to be afraid. Watch this, only believe. Only believe. Don't even listen to what he said, believe only. See, sometimes if you've been in religion for a long time, believing only is not enough. It's, it's, we always, we don't receive Jesus as enough. We're always trying to add to it. And you got to come to a point where Jesus is enough. I said, you got to get to a point in your life where Jesus is enough. I'm telling you, he's enough. He's enough for your debt. He's enough for your children. He's enough for your marriage. He's enough for your ministry. He's enough for your finances. He is enough. It is Jesus plus nothing, honey. He is enough. Y'all excuse me for getting excited, but I am excited, praise God. Remember, I'm hyper. <laughs> praise God. But that's what we need to believe. Notice, he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. Basically, what, 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 what do I do? Well, I believe, and I thank him. And of course, I'm ready to do anything the Spirit of God leads me to do. Lord, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to do about this? What's my part in the manifestation of what's already been done showing up on my life? Neither do I want to get you to the point, I've, I've run into this lately. You know, somebody says, well, you know, what do you do? Just stand there and believe? <laughs> I guarantee you that's not believing, <laughs> you know? You know all the things that you're going to be confronted with when you're talking about believing something? 
When you believe something, you're going to be able to hear it in, in what you say. You're going, to be, you're going to be able to see your life corresponding and cooperating and lining up with what you say you believe. It's not just a mental assent that, you know, I believe up here and that's just it. No, I believe up here. I believe with my mouth. I believe with my actions. I believe with my praise. I believe with my thanksgiving. I believe with my giving. I'm going to correspond with what I believe. And I'm going to be thankful. And so now, grace has provided everything I will ever need in this life. Everything that I'll ever need has already been made available. But it's going to be up to me to get into agreement with what I say I believe has already been made available. This new covenant, ladies and gentlemen, it's mine. And, and, and it doesn't require me. Now, here, here's what we do. We keep confusing the two. We take the agreement of the old and we try to execute it with the new. And we're always coming over here and saying, I need to do this. Now, well, here's what we've got to be careful about. We've got to be careful about not taking faith actions and turning it into the work of the flesh. Well, well how do you do that? Well, Lord, I, I'm going to go on a 40-day fast. And somebody say, why? Well, I, I want to move God. Well, God's already moved. I can't tell you the number of pastors I meet all the time. Well, we're going on our January fast. And I'm not, I'm not you know, you, you, it's just between you and God about that. But I'm just saying, you know, you just really got to understand the purpose of fasting. I mean, your, 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 your spirit, man, is in line with the word and, and, and in line with the Holy Ghost. And you're renewing your mind. And, and now, now your mind's getting in line with your spirit and, and with the word and your body's rebelling. Well, that's when you need to go on a fast and say, hey, dude, you're going with us. And until you make a decision to go with us, you ain't going to eat. I mean, I'm sure, maybe some of you come up with deeper things. I just like things simple. But you've got to be careful not to use prayer. Well, I'm going to pray for the next 24 hours. And I mean, I'm really going to pray. And I bet you God's going to do something for me because, man, if I pray for 24 hours, ooh, God's going to do... And, and it's like, no, now all of a sudden now, I mean, really, you're, you're, you're into legalism. Because now you're trying to use your faith to get God to do something that's already finished. I said it's already finished. And all over America, all over America, this is the requirement coming from the pulpit. Yeah, I know those grace preachers saying all you got to do is believe and, and say thank you. Yeah, but now you got to do your part. Now, the, the Bible says to work out your own salvation. Well, you need to, you need to, you need to, I'm going to preach on that in the morning because fear and trembling doesn't mean what you think it means. And it says work out of you, work it out of you. Working out of you. It says it is God that worketh in you. So what he's put in you, work it out. Work it out of you. How do you do that? You, you, you begin it. What I just said, I believe it and I thank God for it. But all over America, they're going to require you to add some performance to it now. I tell you one thing, reason why you're not blessed like you want to be blessed is because you and your husband hadn't been tithing and y'all hadn't been tithing. That's the reason why you're going to be cursed by 12 o'clock today, I guarantee you. 
Well, what's happening? It's like putting a gun in your head. We got this ATM machine across the street somewhere, and we had some, some, some guys came and, and you know, wanted to hold up one of, one of our, our, our staff people, and I thought that's crazy, you know, that's ridiculous. And, and, and that day, they really gave an offering. It just wasn't a willing offering. There's, there's no difference between somebody putting a gun in your back and you giving an offering at an ATM machine. The same thing if a preacher gets up in the pulpit and he's putting the same kind of gun in your back saying you're going to go to hell if you don't give 10% of your increase and, and that's why God's not good to you and that's why God's not blessing you and that's why you didn't get the car you prayed for and that's why your wife don't like you no more and all that stuff. And then you sit up there, dear God, I, all right, preacher, I'll just go ahead and give an offering, keep it to you. And you wonder why people don't want to come to church. People don't want to come to church, keep coming to church and hear you beating them up. You ain't no good. You ain't worth nothing. Reason why you ain't blessed because you didn't say your confessions this morning. You missed out on your confessions two days in a row. What kind of Christian are you? And you're going around, oh, dear God, I don't blame you. I'm just a no good for nothing, nothing. No, that is not our God under this new covenant. Under this new covenant, he said, I will, I will, I will. trying to get you to perform like a circus animal. Do a trick and I'll give you a, a cookie. God says, I just want somebody to believe me. I want you to understand what the blood of Jesus did for you. And I want you to honor that blood. And I don't want you to dishonor that blood by trying to do something that Jesus has already finished. We're under a new covenant, praise God. And it requires us to believe and thank you and believe. And thank you, Lord, I believe. And thank you, I believe. And thank you, I believe. I believe and thank you. And I apologize for screaming, but I just. <laughs> you see, precious people who are just always condemned because they feel like, how am I ever going to reach these expectations that I think God wants me to reach? And they keep coming to church and getting a new dose every week of condemnation. <laughs> you know where sin consciousness is, is, is being, being given out? It's being given out at church. You, people become more sin conscious coming to church. Listening to the preacher. Preach on you gotta be holy. If you're not holy, you're not gonna see the Lord. You got to be holy. H-O-L-Y. Holy, holy in the morning, holy in the noonday. And they just walk out like, dear God, I just might as well just go and go to hell right now, dear Jesus. If you could be all of that, then you wouldn't have needed Jesus to be all that for you. 
He said, I'm all that for you. Everything you're trying to be, Jesus says, I'm all that for you. Just all you got to do is accept me and I've already paid the price. I'm everything you ever need. Praise God. <laughs> I'm everything you're going to ever need. I'm everything you're going to ever need. Oh. Oh. oh, I didn't mean to get wild like this. I was trying to be kind of dignified for my friend so he could. Oh, but God's just been so good to me. I just. Mm. And just some, some people just didn't know. And that's why I have to look at people, not with, what, not with anger, but lost sheep in need of a shepherd. Well, now, but Brother Dollar, I, I hear what you're saying, but now, you know, I, I, we're still, we're still under the Ten Commandments as a moral compass. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you right now, 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 now the, the Ten Commandments, it's the moral compass for those of us who are in the church. <laughs> well, I don't look like the Ten Commandments helping your jaws that much, because... <laughs> Thou shalt not shake your jaws when you preach. I don't, why do I need the Ten Commandments to be my moral compass when I've gotten the Holy Spirit on the inside of me to lead me in every direction that I need to go in? Go, go, to second, uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at this. We need to look. Verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's start at verse 6. This, and and I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I don't know what time it is. I don't know what time I started. I don't know. <laughs> Dear God, I've been drinking that new wine tonight. Praise Jesus. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I don't plan on shutting up until everybody's heard this gospel of grace. I ain't going to. I'm not closing my mouth. They used to let me in the White House, and lately they hadn't invited me. But if they let me back in the White House, I'm going to preach grace when I get in that White House. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. I got a feeling Mr. Obama going to want prayer real soon. I'm going to be ready to preach grace. I'm going to preach grace. I'm going to preach grace. Praise God. Hallelujah. After a while, at the end of your presidency, it doesn't matter, and all of a sudden, you, you, make, you want to make sure you, you know, got Jesus where you need to have him. Praise God. All right, you ready? Now, look, look what he said to us. Who also has made us able ministers, listen, of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. There's an anointing that's available for preachers to very effectively and skillfully be able to minister this gospel of grace. Look at verse, the next verse. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, what is he talking about here? He's talking about Ten Commandments. He says it's the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones. Now he said, now there's, you know, it did what God expected and what he sent it to do he said it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses 
for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be, watch this, done away. Next verse. Well, we're going to read this whole thing. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation, look what he calls the Ten Commandments, the ministration of death, and watch this, the ministration of condemnation. He says, if that, if that can be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Next. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more, somebody shout much more. Much more. Much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, now watch this carefully, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Did y'all see that? Moses, the veil was on Moses' face, ladies and gentlemen, so they couldn't see the glory, the, 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 the glory being removed from his face because they didn't want, they didn't want them, he didn't want them to see the glory being removed because they thought, well, he's no longer qualified to lead since his face ain't shining like that no more. That's pretty smart. Cover your face up so they can't see what's happening. <laughs> but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Verse 18. But we all with open face, now watch this, Beholding, underline that, beholding. Notice what they're doing. They're beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. They're doing what? They're beholding it. They're beholding it. What happens as a result of them beholding it? They're changed into the same image from glory to glory because they're beholding it. Listen to me carefully. The more you behold Jesus, the more you become like him. How do you do that? You start beholding him, praise God. And you're changed into the same image by the Spirit of God, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. Verse 19. 19. Oh, I'm at the end? Please don't let it be the end. There is no, there is no 19, huh? You sure there's not a 19? But we all with open face behold it's my 19, I'll just create one. <laughs> As in a glass by the glory of the Lord, we are changed. We're not changed by performance. We're not changed by self-effort. We're changed by beholding him. Behold the blueprint. As he is, 
so are we in this world. As he is in heaven, so are we in this world. But we got to understand our covenant, the new covenant. That's what we've been called to. That's what's been extended to Gentiles. And you cannot mix law with grace and expect to be successful. You cannot take Ishmael and stick him under the same roof with Isaac. Because Ishmael will never share in the inheritance of Isaac. Mm -hmm. And the reason why some of you haven't seen any results is you got Ishmael and Isaac living under the same roof. You want to see results? Kick Ishmael and his mama at the house. In other words, kick the law out the house. And you begin to see results. I believe. And thank you. I believe. And thank you. I believe. And thank you. We respond to the new covenant that way and trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and everything else. Amen. Praise God. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.